0: Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to and not in place of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Good morning, Springs Church. You know, one of the really great things about doing this is I get a view that no one else has. I get to see all of your faces and it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. I love that. I enjoy that. Let me ask you, how are you doing <laughs> okay, I do need to say, <laughs> thank you for that. I do need to say I didn't really expect you to answer because if, I don't know, four, or five, six hundred of you answered at one time, I wouldn't know what you were saying. But really why I'm asking that question of how are you doing is, now I want to ask you, how do you even answer that question? Really? I mean, besides, good, fine, okay. How do you really answer that question? So, do you, do you answer the question based on how you're feeling physically? How you're doing relationally in the moment? How you're doing financially? Um, how you're doing spiritually? The, the problem with those, to try to answer that question, is it's, it's not reliable, right? I can say I'm doing really well. I'm, do, I'm doing well because relationally feels, it feels right. And then I get into an argument with a friend, and all of a sudden my life doesn't feel right anymore. Well, did it really just change? You know, those those things are not really reliable, but the question becomes, how is it that we do answer that question? How do we assess our life, our life in Christ? So let's pray. So Father, we do ask you to reveal to us how you want how you want us to look at our life. You've entrusted your spirit to us, the very life and presence of Jesus in us. And Father, we love Jesus. We love that life you've given us. But Lord Jesus, we we want to be able to know how we're doing. And so we ask you to speak to that now, Father. Um, Show us in your word what you have said that we are to look at. What's important? What is the source of life for us in the different categories? So we give you this time. We ask you to speak to us now. We need you to guide, to bring understanding and clarity to us now. So speak. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So we are always assessing things. We always are. You know, Maybe Friday night, maybe last night, you thought, well, let's just, you know, let's just watch a movie. Just kind of relax from the week and you've got to assess what's out there. And and if you're like me, you know, I might go through Netflix or I might go through Redbox, what they have to offer. And after a while, I mean, it just becomes debilitating after a while looking at all those. But you might find something and go, I wonder if this is good. I wonder if we should watch this. And so what we typically do is we will look at IMDB, Internet movie database. And, you know, we'll look at the rating they give for the movie. It just says something. And then we'll, we'll, we'll go down to the parent's guide because parents will get on and they'll say, oh, don't watch this movie. This is what happens here or there, you know, in violence or, or language or nudity or whatever. It's very, very helpful. And then if, if kind of all that passes muster, then we go, we might watch the trailer. Have you ever watched a trailer of a movie, and it looked so good? It was funny, the story looked good, the acting, and then you watch the movie, and it was terrible. Right? You've done that before, and you realize that, that there were only three good minutes in the whole movie, and they put it in the trailer. <laughs> and the other almost two hours were terrible. Watching the trailer isn't a good indicator, right? A way to assess a movie. Uh, you know, so, you know, so let me give you another example. So you know. I might go to the grocery store to pick up, let's say, avocados, which is a favorite food of our family. Okay, now, since Lee is sitting here, I have to admit, probably in the almost 43 years we've been married, I've gone to the grocery store a handful of times. So I want to make it sound like I go all the time. So I remember one time I went to the grocery store to get avocados. And, uh, and so Lee said, now, when you get, the, you know, when you get to the, where the avocados are, just squeeze it gently, and if it's kind of soft, it's probably ripe. You know, and I don't trust those stickers. They put stickers on that say, ripe avocado. I don't even know how they know that. I don't trust those. But I would squeeze it gently, and I think, oh, this is, I think this is ripe. And then you don't know until you go home, and you, you peel off the skin, and it's either still hard, or it's, it's bruised because everybody's been squeezing the avocado. You know, it's just hard to assess if an avocado is ripe. One more example. So back in December, um, Lee and I wanted to buy a, 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 another used car for our youngest daughter. And, you know, it's a hard market out there to buy, but I, I went on Craigslist, and then I went on Facebook Marketplace, and I'm looking for a used car, and I found a make and model that I trusted, even with all those years. So I called the guy, and I said, I'd like to see your car, and so he drove out. He lived in Falcon, and he said, listen, I'm going to be in the Springs tonight, I'm going to be at the Y working out, so I'll meet you after that. So I, I went out there, he told me where his car was, you know, he said, it's by this lamp pole, and, so I went out there and I was looking at the car, looking at the body, peering in the windows, even got underneath and just looked with my flashlight to see if I saw rust underneath. That's all I knew to do. So when the guy showed up at the car, um, I asked him if we could take a test drive, we did. I just drove it and you know, I'm just feeling the car. I don't know what to do, I'm you know, taking curves and I'm accelerating and using the brakes, but I, I really don't know what I'm doing. And it felt appropriate the car felt appropriate for its mileage. So I told him, I said, Listen, let me, let me uh, maybe tomorrow, let me pray about this. Found out he was a Christian. I said, Let me pray about this, and maybe tomorrow I'll come out in the, in the daylight and look at the car and take another test drive. So I asked a friend of mine, David Ellis, who goes here, and I said, David, would you go with me and, and help me assess this car? So when I picked him up, he came out, he had rubber gloves. He had paper towels, he had a flashlight, he had tools with them, and he had work jeans. And I thought, okay, he knows what he's doing. I don't know what he's going to do with those things, but he's going to do something. He knows more than I do. And I mean, he was over and under and in and through this car. And he knew how to assess it because I didn't know, is, you know, what kind of life does this car have left in it? How do we assess our life in Christ? That's the question. How, what do we look at? Because... We, are, we do care about this life that we have been given in our life. You know, sometimes, and, and what's really hard is sometimes we feel spiritually alive, right? I sense God's presence, and I know He's real, and I see Him, and we're doing things, and, and then sometimes I feel like, I just feel dead, right? I, uh, nothing seems real anymore. It just, I just feel dead. So what does that mean? How do we assess that? What do we do with that? Because we've all experienced that, There's a very important principle that we must understand and it was spoken by a 17th century philosopher and physician. His name is Miracle Max. Perhaps you've seen him in The Princess Bride. And he he brought great clarity when he said, there is a big difference between mostly dead and dead because mostly dead is slightly alive. It's really important that we understand that because when we feel like kind of spiritually dead, we're not. I mean, we we don't have life in Christ one moment and lose it the next and get it back the next. That's not the way this works. We are alive in Christ. It's a gift He's given us. It's an eternal gift. But we can feel like that. And the question is, what do we do with that? How do we assess it? Where do we go with something like that? You see, the the Christian life isn't so much about, if, if you were, I'll put this graphic up here, a line, you know, walking towards more Christ-likeness or walking towards being abundantly alive versus slightly alive. It's not so much where we are on that line, but it's what direction we're facing. Because we've all experienced this, right? We take, a, you know, the, the, the slogan, you take two steps forward and one step, you slide one step back. This just happens in this world that we're living in. It's just, it's an unfriendly world to the, to the life of God. But so what matters is what direction you're facing, not where you are in that line. Are you facing towards conformity to Christ or conformity to the world? Are you facing towards abundant life or slightly alive? That, that's what really matters. And so then the, the question becomes, how do we assess what direction we're facing? Is it just based on how we're feeling in the moment or how do we assess that? Now here's what's fascinating. In every living organism that God has created, there are four things that are going on in that living organism. Five things rather, five things. And if one of those things are missing, or, or any number, there is something wrong with it. The level and the quality of life is being diminished. So everything that is alive has these five functions, including us and our spiritual life. And this is what I want to look at. And here are those five things. It's, it's really basic biology. Everything that's, a living, that, that's alive has this going on. Assimilation, elimination, growth, responsiveness, and reproduction. It's true. From the smallest cell to the largest creature. This is, this is what's going on in every single one. And this is what we must look at, okay, in our own life. Now, now let me say this real quickly. I, I could do, we could do a sermon on every one of those five things. But we're not. We're just going to do them all right now. So, because of that, I'm going to, I'm only gonna mention a few things that I think are not often thought about in each one of these categories. I'm gonna hit a category and you're gonna say, why didn't he say this? Why didn't he mention that? Maybe he doesn't think that's important, okay? If I don't say it, it's not because I don't understand it and I don't think it's important. It's just we don't have time for everything and I wanna talk about the things that perhaps you're not thinking about, okay? You'll see when we go on to this one as, as we do this. So, the first thing is, let's look assimilation everything that is fully alive assimilates it takes in it absorbs nutrients right something that's not doing that is in danger of dying okay now when when we're looking at assimilation and what i want to do is look at two categories that are, are can be very typical of starvation in two categories what i am not saying okay there's a, let me say it this way there's a difference between starving starvation and fasting <laughs> okay? Fasting is life-giving. In, in physically, it's fasting. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, in so many ways. But we're not talking about not fasting. We're talking about starvation. Prolonged period of time of not assimilating what the body needs or what the spirit needs, okay? So, what I want to do is talk about two areas that we may not think about when it comes to assimilation that brings us life because we tend to neglect this. So, two areas of possible starvation. The first one I want to talk about is relational starvation. Uh, Dr. Richard Swartz, who wrote a book called The Lonely American, in his research for the book and the research he had been doing, one of the things he states in his book is he says that one out of four Americans have talked to no one about something of importance to them. And I know it's true, I know that's accurate, because over the years of just talking to people, just through friendship and and just acquaintances and that kind of thing, so many times in our conversation and the questions I ask, and I don't mean questions for counseling, just asking questions to get to know a person in their story. uh, That person will say to me, I have never shared that before, and I'm thinking, wow, that kind of is ordinary stuff that you just told me. Now, I'm not diminishing what they told me, but I'm thinking this is the stuff of life, of fellowship. This is what we talk about. So I know that statistics is true, that there's very few people that we ever talk about things that are important to us. We need that, we absolutely need that. The other thing he said was being disconnected diminishes happiness, health, and longevity, increases aggression, and correlates with increasing levels of violent crime. Is that not the mark, the hallmark of our time today? Right? Increasing levels of mental illness, of mental struggles, increasing aggressiveness, and increasing rates of violent crime. This is what we're seeing right here. And I think he's right. It goes back to being disconnected with other people and all the ways that we are to assimilate the life of God and life in us through friendships. So C.S. Lewis had this to say about this. This is a phenomenal quote. He said, we are born helpless. As soon as we are fully conscious, we discover loneliness. We need others physically, emotionally, and intellectually. We need them if we are to know anything, even ourselves. It's true. But most of us are relationally starved. And I, I, you, know, you may be thinking, well, that's really weird because I'm sitting in here with, you know, 600 people. I'm not relationally starved. No, there, there's a different level here, you know, that we're talking about. It, it's fascinating. In Proverbs 25, 20 verse 5, it says, The intentions of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. You see, there's so much going on in our heart, so much that God wants to speak to, reveal. But we often need someone else to bring them out. And perhaps that was happening in a lot of the conversations that I was having, but we need someone to draw us out to see what is going on in the heart, where the Holy Spirit resides, where we've been given new life, where the battle takes place. That's the heart. We need people to draw that out, as Scripture tells us. And then in Proverbs 18.1, it reads, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Oh, there is a life that we get that we can assimilate through deep friendships with other people. There's so much we can understand through other people in our life. But again, deeply connecting. And when we deeply connect believer to believer, what's happening is it's one believer pouring the life of Christ into the other and vice versa, and into that place in our heart, that space that's slightly alive, right? That's when we walk out encouraged because that slightly alive place has been, had the life of Christ poured into it. And we go, oh, I, I, I sense the, the life of God in me again. That's what believers do. That's why friendship is so incredibly important. And so my question to you is, has there been somebody now, I think six months is general, I would, or very generous. I would say, has there been somebody in the last week that you have talked to about something of importance to you? Don't be relationally starved. We have to assimilate all that God brings through relationships. Let me give you another area of possible starvation when it comes to assimilating that every living organism has to do, and that is the emotional starvation. Dallas Willard wrote this. Failure to attain a deeply satisfying life has al- always has the effect of making sinful actions seem good. Here lies the strength of temptation. Normally, our, su- our successes in overcoming temptation will be easier if we were basically happy in our lives. To cut off the joys and pleasures associated with our bodily lives and social existence as unspiritual can actually have the effect of weakening us in our efforts to do what is right. Isn't it true? When are you most susceptible to temptation or sin? It's when we're basically unhappy. That's when it's tempting. We're unhappy, we're unfulfilled. And Dallas Willard is saying, don't ignore this part of your life. It is spiritual. You see, finding what brings you joy and happiness is survival. It's essential in this world that we're living in. Now, we're, we're, we're not talking about something becoming your life that's other than Christ. We're not talking about that, you know, at, at all. And, but the reason I bring this up is because in this church, what I love about this church, and Lee and I have been in many churches over the years from moving around and so forth, this, is, this church, this body of Christ is so wonderfully, joyfully serious about walking with God. Right? Yeah. Enjoying Him. Finding their place in the story in which they have been set. Learning how to be in the world but not of the world. Taking seriously their, their intimate relationship with God and their calling. We're serious about that. But in this context... It's very easy to now diminish the things that we used to do that brought us life. Like, that's not important anymore. That's, it's not spiritual. It's not important. I don't have time for that. I mean, look what's going on in the world. And yet, those things bring us life and joy. Now, when I say that, I want to take you to 1 Timothy 6.17, where it's very clear that it is God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He provides us with everything to enjoy. So he says, good, enjoy that. I know that makes you come alive. Go do that. Do that for a little while. It's not your life. And and what I want to say is someone who walks with God, as we walk with God, we can enjoy something, but understand its limitations, right? Its emptiness, its inherent emptiness because it's of this world, but we can enjoy it. So there's a safety factor you know, with us. Or Proverbs 17.22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones, right? We need to take joy seriously in our life. So let me ask you, what activities that you do now or you've done in the past that bring you joy, right, and a, and a sense of life and, and, uh, and energy, You know, maybe you come back from doing whatever that is and your spouse or your friend says, wow, you're a different person now. You're really doing well. You know, and they notice this in you. Now, let me just give you a few suggestions, you know, because I'm really, I want you to, we need to be assessing during this whole time I'm talking. We're assessing in the moment. But so let me throw out some ideas in case you're blank. You know, is it, maybe it's woodworking. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's restoring old cars. There's a guy that I met here. Um, And he said that he loves to restore old cars, been doing it for years. You know, he finds the classics, and then he restores them. You know, the engine, the interior, the body, all this. And he said, yeah, I I don't, I think that's probably distracting my life as a believer. Now, I don't know if it is or isn't, but I do know when he talks about that, he smiles big. When he remembers doing this and then having those cars, and I thought, wow, maybe, maybe, maybe that's not the distraction. You know, I was asking him, how many many hours do you do that? And he goes, you know, I'll just spend maybe, you know, five or six hours like every other weekend. I'll go in my shop and I'll just work on it in my house. And Now, if he said I do this all week long, that might be another issue. But what is that for you? Let me name some other things. Maybe it's camping, hiking. You haven't done it for a while, but you've loved it. Um, Canoeing, kayaking, Motorcycles. I only personally know one man who really gets life out of motorcycles, and he's not here today. And I was supposed to, <laughs> but you know, I remember him saying, "You know, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should just walk away from motorcycles, give them up, sell them." He's, he's shared that before from the stage, and I said, "Michael, you are happy when you talk about motorcycles. You know, you are happy. You are full of energy. Don't do not do that. You know, Beth will let you know, and if I know, I'll let you know when you're overdoing it." But so th- there are things. It might be. Guys night out. You used to have those. You love that. Brought you life, but you're not anymore. Girls night out. Golf, tennis, some form of artistry that you need to go back to because God's made your heart to enjoy that. Or gardening or traveling or adventuring. I, I don't know what it is. It's in your heart. You probably experienced it at one point and you gave it away for some reason. You walked away from it and God may be saying, go back. I gave it to you. Let me give you one more. Now this I'm not going to spend much time on because I know you're already thinking this one. When I talk about assimilating and I, you know, taking nutrients for your heart, for the, for the spiritual life and starvation, you were already thinking this, but it's spiritual starvation. And we talk about this all the time here, so I'm not going to take much time except to say this, that in this world, there is a lot of junk food available spiritually It's high in calories, it's low in nutrition, and it's filled with artificial ingredients, right? It's not good for us, but the world offers it. We have to ingest, we have to take in, we have to absorb the word of God personally and daily. We've got to do that. And Christian music and Christian fellowship and and, and Christian um, worship and all these things are valuable but you cannot neglect taking in, I cannot neglect taking in the word of God daily, the original source. The other thing about scripture is that it's high fiber. So it will stimulate the process of waste um, elimination. Which was a really clever segue into the next point, elimination, right? So every living organism assimilates, it takes in, it also eliminates. So let's look at elimination for a minute in our life spiritually. There are things that we must purge from our life. It must be removed if we're going to continue to grow, right? And you know the problem. I mean, people go to hospitals if, they, if they're not, I'm not going to go there, <laughs> processing through what they assimilated. Anyway, I'm not really going to go there. Now, of course, when we talk about elimination, spiritually, we're talking about sin. Of course, we're talking about that. But I want to bring up a few more things that maybe we don't think about when we talk about what God may saying, eliminate this from your life now because I have more I want to bring in. So first let me start with this, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. You're familiar with it, but let's look at it in this context of eliminating. as something every living organism does. It reads this way, and I'm going to jump a couple verses here. There is a time to plant and a time to uproot. Do so you realize that? There is a time to uproot things in your life. There is a time to keep and a time to throw away. There is a time to tear down and a time to build. So there are times like that. There, there, there has to be elimination in our life. So, and Jesus said it this way. This is in John 15. He said that every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. There is elimination. It's part of our life. And sometimes there is forced elimination. Sometimes God will come and he'll say, I need to eliminate this out of your life. And we think, what is going on? Why would you do that? That was painful. That can't be right. That was taking life away from us, from me. And he's saying, no, elimination is necessary. I've got to pull this out so I can bring the next thing into your life. Elimination. So I want to bring two categories that maybe aren't thought of often in this In this category, as we do with sin, we think about that right away. There are ways of doing things and roles that perhaps we need to eliminate in our life now. There can be ways of doing things and roles that were really helpful before in our life, and God may be saying, not now. I, I need you to change that. I need you to live differently now. I need you to relate differently. I need you to do differently. Let me give you two examples out of Scripture. The first one is Exodus 18. You're familiar with the story, I think. Moses has brought his people out of exile, and he, uh, his, his father-in-law is observing him and how Moses is doing things. And At one point, he says to him, Moses, you, you can't do things the way you've been doing things. Um, your leadership, your ministry, your serving other, others, it needs to change. It was really good. It was really needed. It saved us. But the fact is, it's not helpful now. You need to do things differently. You are called to different right now. There's an example where he had to eliminate his old ways of doing things and his old role. Okay? Let me give you another one. Acts chapter 6. You're familiar with this, I'm sure. So the church, early church, but it is growing And the apostles are teaching, praying, helping, serving, ministering, and it's powerful, and it's good. But then after a while, it becomes clear, you can't do that anymore. That was good. I'm not saying it wasn't. But you need to to eliminate that kind of work now to the apostles, and now you need to just spend time in teaching the Word and praying. Everything else is good, but you have to change. You have to eliminate something. Let me, read, let me take you to another book, but this is not the Bible. This is Lord of the Rings. So in the third movie, if you've seen the series, um, Elrond is talking to Aragorn. And he says to Aragorn, in the midst of the final battle, he says, Aragorn, you need to put away the ranger and become who you were made to be. And if you've read the book, if you've watched the series, Aragorn, his role as the ranger was really important. I mean, he was always scouting the outer boundaries. He was looking for danger. He was saving lives. He was fighting battles. He was finding the lost. But but Elrond was able to say, that was all good, but not now. You have to eliminate that now. You need to become the king. It's different now. It's a different role. And so my question to you is, could, could God be saying to you, you need to eliminate the ways you've been doing things now. They were good then. But they're not helpful now. They're not useful now. You've always had that role and you've always thought, oh, I'll always be this. This is how I will always relate. I relate this way to work and I'm going to relate this way in church. I'm going to relate this way in anywhere I am because that's what I am. And God made me say, no, put that away. That was needed then, but not now. Not now. You know, there, there are some people who... No, I'm not going to go there. So, but, but just think about that for a moment. Well, I will go there. So some people, the, the, what, what's been so helpful for them and useful is that they're, they're quick decision makers. They get into a situation and they say, okay, let's make a decision. Here's what you need to do. This is what needs to change. And they've done this at work. They've done this in their family. And they've done this at church. They've done this at other places. And it was helpful for a while. And sometimes God says, now, I want you to stop doing that. Yes, you can do that. But now, perhaps what you need to do is help others make decisions, right? Back it off, back it down. This is what I need you to do with this place in your life and the place I have you right now. And there are others that have somehow made life work by not being overly aggressive, right? By not making decisions, by not trying to organize those type of things. And God may be saying, yeah, it worked for you well now, but now I need you to step up. I need you to speak up. I need you to bring who you are to others in his situations. So again, the question is, is there, is there a way of acting and a way of living and a, and a role that perhaps God is saying, I need you to eliminate that now. It's not simply being faithful by continuing to do this. I need you to stop and take on the new thing I have for you in your life. The other, so there's, there's ways of doing things and roles. The other thing I wanna bring up under elimination is commitments. Now, of course, I'm not talking about eliminating commitments to your spouse or to your family in any way, of course not that. In fact, I remember years ago, someone said this to me, and it was was life-changing. And this person said to me, your absence will only be significantly and lastingly felt in your home. Right? You can be absent from your work. You can be absent from whatever it is. And you will eventually be replaced. You may be remembered fondly, but you're not going to change anything by not being there. But with your spouse, with your children, it will be felt. And it will change everything. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to over the years about what they're struggling with. And they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And their struggles, what they're struggling with today, goes back to their mom and dad. It goes back 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. So no, I'm not talking about eliminating that commitment. That has to always remain in place. But the question is, have you made commitments to things that you need to let go of now? You know, I, I'm going to do this. Yeah, I'll be that. That's what I'll, you know, and maybe God's saying, that the, the season, the time for that is over now. Let it go. Let someone else do that. I've got something else for you. And sometimes letting go of a commitment is a very hard thing to do because we, we draw our identity out of it. Let me give you an example, of I think, of, of someone doing this so well. And he's not sitting here, but Sherry's sitting here. Dave Miller, Pastor Dave Miller, he was committed to his family's business, the business that his father started. Very successful business, he was committed to that and helped run that and develop it and everything else and he was committed to his church and doing pastorly things with his church and spending a lot of time doing both, right? (laughs) Okay. But it came to a point where he had to realize, do I keep my commitment to the family business Or do I become, do I fully go into this thing that God has put on my heart to pastor, to be more of that? And he had to eliminate that commitment. And aren't we glad he did, that he is here pastoring now full time? And I'm sure that was a hard thing to walk away from. I know it was as we talked about it many times. The thing is, is if you've committed to something and God wants you to move on to the next thing, If you stay there too long, you will go from asset to liability. And we all know what that's like. We've experienced it, and we felt it in our own heart. I've been in things before where at first I was there, and I was trying to help, and I felt like I was. And then after a while, I felt like, oh, I have got to get out of this because I'm not going to be helpful very much longer. Because God was saying, let it go. I've got a different commitment for you in your life right now and in your ministry and work. Elimination is absolutely necessary for growth. Which brings us to the third point, right? Everything that is fully alive assimilates, it eliminates, and it grows, right? Everything that's alive grows. So this is a really tough one to assess personally, right? By yourself, it's really hard. Um, Sometimes we want to assess personal growth um, by the numbers. Right? So, first of all, we'll look at spiritual gifts, you know. Do I have a spiritual gift? Am I operating in it? Are people responding to my spiritual gift in my life right now? But we have to remember, when you look at the Corinthian church, Paul had to call them out for their sins, which are astounding when we read them. We kind of look at someone and go, you kidding me? That was going on there? But at the same time, he's teaching on spiritual gifts, and, 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 and validating that they're operating in some of them. So growth can't be in terms of looking at spiritual gifts. Right? It, it, it can't be that. I, I kind of consider what we saw in the, in the Corinthian church as it's charisma without character. But we have to look at the heart. If you want to assess how you're doing heart growth-wise, you have to look at the heart, your heart, where all life is, not the exterior and activities. Dallas Willard wrote, What our life amounts to is largely, if not entirely, a matter of what we become within. This within is the arena of spiritual formation and later, transformation. So we have to look at our heart. We have to look at the inside. I think as I analyze this and think about this, the one factor to look at, am I growing, is you look at the fruit of the Spirit. Because literally the fruit of the Spirit is the manifestation of Jesus' life in you and me. This is what he's life, And when, when we manifest that out to others, they're experiencing Jesus. So we have to look at that. Do we see the life of Jesus being more relevant or more realistic or more realized in our life? So, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. Right? He's making us so when you he's making us into his likeness. So if you want to look at growth in your life, look at am I becoming more like him? Not necessarily am I doing more like him. One more verse, Ephesians 4:15. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. Even Christ. So the question is, as a child of God, are you bearing more and more the resemblance of your family? Not your earthly family, but the heavenly one, God. Are you bearing more and more of his his resemblance? If you are, you're growing. I'm growing, if that's happening. Okay, so we've looked at everything that's fully alive, assimilates, eliminates, grows, and the fourth one now is it's responsive. It's responsive. So you may have had this done to you, or you may have seen this in a movie where, uh, you know, the doc, your doctor gets a little flashlight, you open up your eye, and he, he puts that light, flashes it on your pupils, right? Because he wants to see, will your eye actually be responsive to light? Will it start to constrict? Will it get smaller? Where this happens with EMTs all the time, right? Especially if they come across a, a trauma victim. Because if they open their eyes and they shine a light and their eye doesn't constrict, doesn't react, doesn't respond, it may mean that there's head trauma going on. So it's an indicator. It's a way to assess, okay, responsiveness. Every living thing responds. Um, You've probably, I'm sure you've probably had this before. You go into the doctor, it's a checkup, and he gets that little, he gets that little uh, reflex hammer as you're sitting on the bench, and he hits you in that tendon right below your kneecap, and your, your leg jumps. It's a really good thing. Because if it doesn't, if, if your nerves don't respond to that, then something is wrong. Something is not living the way it's supposed to be living. See, it's responsiveness is, is a mark of something that's fully alive. So I want to talk about three things in responsiveness in that category. One is we need to be aware and responsive to the world within and responsive to the world within. We should have an increasing awareness of what's going on inside. If your spouse or your friend says, you know, I just feel like you don't have any idea what's going on inside of you, okay, and you hear that too much, you need some healing. There's something going on because we should be more and more aware of what's happening in my heart as I walk with God. Now, what's really hard about that is, and I do want to say, I'm talking about being self-aware, not self-centered, And some people are becoming more and more self-centered and not self-aware, but this is a whole different thing, being more self-aware of what's going on in your heart. We should have a growing sensitivity to sin, right? The more we walk with God, the more we live in Him, the more we're sensitive to our own sin, to the sin of others, to the sin in this world, right? It breaks our heart more and more. We feel the pain of it, the disappointment, and it's easy when we get in that place of feeling broken hearted and disappointed to think something m- must be wrong with me. And God might be saying no. See, you're responsive, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, we should be that in our life. Um, the heartache, the disappointment is, is like when the doctor, if he ever gives you a pinprick in your fingers or your toes just to see if your, your nerves are fully activated and alive. It's the same thing. It it tends to be a pinprick to go, no, you're good, you're good, you're feeling that. I know it's hard, you don't want to, but this is the world we live in. This is the burden God has on his heart. So, aware and responsive to the world within. We need to be aware and responsive to the world outside, around us, right? That's when we're fully alive. Apathy, lethargy, indifference, right? Numbness is not natural, it's not, these are signs that life is turning within. It's, it's like if the doctor does that pinprick and you don't feel anything, then you may have sensory neuro, neuropathy, which is not a good thing. We should be very aware of what's going on in the world and feel it deeply. A friend of mine said, a person's life is as large as the story he or she chooses to live in. If you don't feel the pain of the world, you have constructed a, lar- a very small story for yourself, and you've chose to live in it. I was talking uh, a- between the services, someone came up to me in ministry, and he was talking about how, um, you know, he did a lot of ministry back in Russia, and he's not able to go back, and he feels like he's been shut down for a period of time. and it- It's breaking his heart. On the- but on the other hand, he's feeling that like God is- he's brought him into a, into an examination room and said, it's going to be quiet in here. We're going to to examine some things. But he feels, which is a good thing, he feels the pain of that and the confusion. of He's aware of the world. Oz Guinness said, many followers of Jesus today have not begun to wrestle with the full dimension of the truth of their calling because they have not been stretched by the real challenges of today's world and by the momentumness of the present hour. I mean, if people say, I I don't know what to do when it comes to calling. I I don't know what to do. I don't know what God wants me to do. And I'll say, okay, first of all, tell me what you see. Tell me what you see in living life. And that tells me, first of all, how large the story is we are living in. But I'm saying, okay, you see this. That's a need. Do you think you should do that? You see that. Maybe God's... I don't know. But let's talk about, first, what you see. Right? We have to be stretched by the world. To be responsive is an alive thing in us. So, Aware and responsive to the world within, aware and responsive to the world around us, and aware and responsive to God's voice and movement. Right? That's a sign of being alive. In Psalm 32, 8 and 9, let me just read verse 8, I think it is. In the New King, King James Version, it reads, I will instruct you, this is God speaking, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. And I've read this before We've talked about this, but what's so profound about that is God is saying, promising, I'll instruct you, I'll tell you where to go and, and how to live life, but, but, I want us to be so intimate that you can tell what I'm looking at, you can tell what I'm thinking, God's saying this, that you, can, you are looking in my eyes and you know what I'm thinking and saying right now. And you know that experience, right? As I said before, have you not had it with a, with a, a spouse one of the, the kids in your family, a close friend, where you are somewhere and they, they look at you and they are talking to you, right? And the, the words may be, don't you say that. Or please say something. Or please get us out of here soon. Or I love you. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But you, you know the intimacy, right? Where people communicate through their eyes. That's what God is saying. I want to have that kind of intimacy where I can communicate to you because you sense my gaze on you. See, that's being responsive to God. That's where he wants to get get us. That's being fully alive with God. So, every fully alive organism, including you and me, both physically and spiritually, assimilates, eliminates, grows, is responsive, and the last one is reproduces reproduces. And again, this is a hard one to personally assess in your life. F- are you fruitful in your life? Are you reproducing? This is hard because again, we live in a time of kind of numeric measurement. Right, some of my talk about how many followers they have on some platform of social media. Um, how many people are in my group. I only had this much before but now I have this much. You know how many blogs are writing or podcasts are getting out. Um, how many speaking engagements, meetings, or invitations they're having. Again, trying to use that as an assessment for reproduction, for fruitfulness, or how many people are in your audience, or positions and titles and those kind of things. Numeric measurements are not a good indicator. They're not a fruitfulness or reproduction. Because I can have a great number of, uh, of cells, more cells growing in my body, and that could be a tumor, and that's not healthy. But it's more cells, and they're growing out of control. It's not healthy. And yet how many ministries look at this many this many, and you're thinking, is it healthy? Are you sure that's healthy? That could be more cancer than life. We don't, you know. So numeric measurements are a very tricky thing and a dangerous thing to apply to everything. John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine. Now, again, we're, let me pause for a second and keep this up. But we're asking, how do we assess the health of our spiritual life when it comes to reproduction, fruitfulness? So Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, that's abiding. Again, if you remain in me and I in you, abiding, you will bear much fruit. There's the promised outcome. And then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So, how do you measure fruitfulness or reproduction in your life? By answering the question, are you abiding? Right? Because the the promise is, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So we have to look in this category of, are we abiding in Christ? That's where you go. Not, should I do something different? Should I talk differently? Should I dress differently? Should I go to something? No. It's, are you abiding in Christ? That's the root. And that is the source. But then the question becomes, well, what does, how how are we fruitful? What comes from my life? Yes, it's the life of Christ poured into another. But how does that kind of practically work in my life? And as I've said before, fruitfulness in your life, your calling is to let people that God brings into your life experience the God-given effect of your life. Remember I talked before about everyone has a signature piece to their life? You have one. And as you let people experience that signature piece, the God-given effect of your life, that does something to them. It imparts life to them. In probably that place where they are slightly alive. You see, this, this life that we've been given, as Michael said on Sunday, requires activation, right? This resurrected new life. And so, we have to activate the assimilation, the elimination, the growth, the responsiveness, and we start to see fruit. Now, some of you are saying, and thinking in your heart, because I can think this, and I often do, I don't think I bear much fruit. I don't know if there's much fruit to my life. I don't know that I have much effect on other people, really. So, I want to give you an illustration to show you, you would be wrong. So there's a place in Arkansas, it's called Mammoth Spring, and we'll show you a picture of it. Mammoth Spring, Arkansas. And as you look at this picture, you realize it doesn't really look like much, right? It's not amazing. It's kind of ordinary. I mean, there's a, there's a road over there. And it looks like there's a building that's abandoned or no one's in it. It's just and it looks like it's out in the middle of nowhere. Right, there's there's nothing impressive about that. But it's called again, it's called Mammoth Spring. Now, here's l- let me show you an aerial view of this, okay? So Mammoth Spring, that's the circle in the middle. That's the spring by itself. <clears throat> the thing about that rather unimpressive spring and you know you just you're seeing a highway next to it another road and there's a oil propane tank place right there and in the bigger view you see there's a sonic burger place it's just very ordinary right just very ordinary but here's the thing as you look at that picture there is great depth to that spring where that water comes up out of the ground they've measured it's 80 feet deep they're looking at that going seriously 80 feet deep, there is depth there that you and I wouldn't naturally notice. But there's something else about this that's unnoticeable but true. We'll put up another picture. And that is that this spring has an unnoticed abundance to it. It puts out 9.78 million gallons of water per hour. That little spring that you just saw. So it not only has depth, but it has abundance to it and turns into a river like that. And so Mammoth Spring turns into Spring River, which turns into the Black River, which turns into the White River, which turns into the Mississippi River, which feeds into the Mississippi, into the Gulf, rather. And I want you to see the effect of Mammoth Spring. That water flows into the Gulf, goes up around the panhandle of Florida, goes up past all our East Coast, and even goes to Europe. That little spring affects all of that world and you would never know it. Right? You would never know. It seems so ordinary, so shallow, so nothing. Men and women, that's true of your life. As you abide in Christ, your effect is greater than you know, far greater. In fact, Jesus says this in John seven thirty-eight: the one who believes in me as the scripture has said, we'll have rivers of living water flowing from his heart. That's the promise as we abide in Christ. Oswald Chambers said this, a river reaches places which its source never knows. And Jesus said that if we have received his fullness, rivers of living water will flow out of us reaching in blessing even to the ends of the earth regardless of how small the visible effect of our lives may be. So you are having effect. And yes, we need to be serious about assessing our spiritual life. How are we doing? We need to be serious about that. But we have to realize, first of all, the life, this Christian life, this abundant life, it has been given to you. It is yours. It's not yours to take away. He's given it to you. And we have to activate it, again, as Michael said, or cultivate it, right? We are living organisms, and God has created us that we have to assimilate. And we, then we have to eliminate, and we have to grow, and we have to respond, and we have to reproduce. This is part of our life. And he does this in us. And he says, but you have to do it with me. It's like a gift you are given and, and, and part of what it says is requires assembly. <laughs> but it also says battery and tools are included. <laughs> right? We are involved in this. And so let me ask you now, how are you doing? In essence, this is the altar call, but stay in your seats. But I'm asking you right now, once again, how are you doing? Are you assimilating all that God wants to bring into your life to feed you? Are you eliminating those things which God says, the time for that is over now. I'm going to bring something new in. Stop holding on to that. You know, are you growing? Are you you after being like Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit? Do you want to act like Him more than you want to be like Him? It doesn't work that way. But often we do that in our culture. Are you responsive? Do you, do you feel the pain of the world? Are you responsive to your own heart and know what's there? And I can tell you, you are, you are producing. It's just the life of Christ in you. So hold on to that hope and that encouragement. It is true as you abide in Christ. Now not work harder for Him. Abide in Him. And you will see this fruit happening. So let, let, me, let me lead you. Let, let's pray together for a second. Father, thank you for this marvelous gift of new life, which we have so concentrated on in the last three weeks, culminating in our Easter celebration. Thank you, thank you. We love this life, we need this life, we can't do it without that life. We would never, if we could, exchange it back for the old life, it's not worth it. So thank you. Father, in our heart, because we love it and value it so much, Father, we want to understand how to assess how we're doing and not take it for granted. Father, we want to walk with you in this. And so we do ask you, Father, help us assess our life well, how we're doing here. Jesus, we we really don't want to end up in ICU when we could have taken taken care of a small problem way, way back, spiritually, Father. So help us assess how we're doing. And, and put time and attention and mind to that. Holy Spirit, we ask you to continue to bring that to our attention now and as the hours and days and weeks go on. Father, we just want to live as a fully alive, spiritual being, Father, with those going on. And so we bless you for your tender care, for your tender and gentle reminders, for your gentle and tender work in us. And may we do this for each other. May we pour the life of Christ into each other, especially into those slightly alive places. And we pray this and ask this and believe you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.